for our gospel lesson from Matthew 7. Pay close attention because this is the gospel of God. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at His teaching. For He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Thus far the reading of God's Word. This is the Word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that You would bless the hearing of Your Word and the preaching of Your Word. Open our hearts and our minds to hear and to believe what You are saying to us this Lord's Day. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as uh, Jeremy mentioned before, our uh, Scripture that we're reading today is Psalm uh, chapter 15. So I'm going to read it again. This is God's holy and infallible word. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would teach us and shape us from your word today. Father, help us to focus this morning. Help us to know and speak truth in our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I, was, when I was a young Christian in college, I went through a period where I was captivated by this psalm, the psalm we're looking at today, Psalm 15. And looking back, I think I liked this psalm so much because it was so simple. David begins this psalm with a question, and then he answers that question for us. It's pretty straightforward. But another reason I was intrigued by this psalm was because it seemed to contradict much of what I was taught about the faith. In fact, this psalm brought about what I guess I would call my first crisis of faith. Now, 
this wasn't a crisis of faith where I was doubting the divinity of Christ or the existence of God or anything like that. But you see, I'd had it beaten into my head that nothing that we really do matters and that accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior is all we can and should do to experience salvation. And sharing that message with other people is our whole purpose. People would quote uh, the book of Isaiah to me and say, Our works, they're filthy rags, and nothing that we do matters. And so when I read this psalm for the first time, it left me a bit confused. I remember going through this psalm with some of my roommates at the time and saying, I think it's wrong that we tell people that it doesn't matter what they do with their life. It says plainly right here from the mouth of David that there is a type of person who will dwell with God. And it seems like David is saying that who we are and what we do does indeed matter. In the first verse, David asks, who can dwell in your tent or on your holy hill? And the answer to this question, it has a twofold meaning. And we'll see that this is kind of a pattern throughout this entire psalm. But before we get to the answer, we have to understand David's mindset at the time of, of writing this. So as we know from the Old Testament, worshipers in the ancient world, they were given instructions and rituals to perform in order to cleanse themselves before going into the presence of God. And coming into the presence of God in the Old Testament, it was a bit frightening. If you came in without doing the proper ritualistic cleansings, you would be struck down, you would die. Even the priests weren't allowed to touch the holy things inside the tabernacle, or they would be struck down. In fact, if you'll remember, David witnessed this. In 2 Samuel 6, David witnesses a man uh, struck down for simply touching the Ark of the Covenant as his men were transporting it to Jerusalem. And many scholars believe that this psalm, Psalm 15, was a response to witnessing what he had seen that day. So David is talking about who can approach God in the tent. And most reading this psalm would assume that he's talking about rituals one, one must do before he goes inside. But the interesting part about David's answer is that instead of giving a liturgical answer, like most would have expected, he gives us an ethical one. David is making the point in this psalm that before you do any sort of ritual or perform any sort of religious task, it matters what kind of person you are. If you're wanting to approach God, your character and how you live your life does matter. In verse 2, David gives us the answer to this question. He says, He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart shall enter God's tent. So we see that there, there's kind of a wholeness to what David is saying here. David is saying you can't just do what's right, and you also can't just speak truth in your heart. You must do both. And as we know, Yahweh is a God who demands our whole being. This is actually very loving. Yahweh wants our whole self. He demands our inner self, and he demands our outward actions. So when I read this as a college student, like I mentioned before, this is the part that made me feel a bit uneasy. I was thinking, well, what does it really mean to be blameless? Isn't that impossible? You know, I think that was a pretty, pretty good Reformed response because we as Reformed believers, we can sometimes wince when we come across words like blameless or pure or upright. But we have to deal with these words, right? Because they are all over the Bible when describing how we should be. 
All throughout the Bible, there are examples of blameless men. Job is called blameless. Noah is called blameless. Paul calls himself blameless in Philippians 3. And then before that, in Philippians 2, and in numerous other spots in his epistles, he tells us that we must be blameless. So we see that being blameless isn't just an Old Testament way of thinking. We are still told to be blameless even after Christ's death and resurrection. And you know, I think the most interesting part of this psalm comes in the second part of verse 2, after David mentions being blameless. David describes the blameless man as someone who does what is right, yes, but he also must speak truth in his heart. And this verse, I would argue, sets up everything else David is going to mention in this psalm. You see, David could have ended this psalm with the first two verses, because he's already answered the question of who can dwell in God's tent. It's, it's the blameless man. But as we're seeing, being a blameless man, it has two aspects to it. The blameless man isn't just someone who has the appearance of righteousness. It's someone who speaks truth in their heart. So you can actually be doing what's right, but still be in the wrong if you're not speaking truth in your heart. So what does that even mean? What what does it mean to speak truth in your heart? You know, as I was doing um, research for this sermon, and when I was in college trying to figure out what this meant, I looked through tons of commentaries trying to uh, find some good insight and an answer to what this means. But I'll be honest, there, there, first of all, there wasn't that much written on it. And second, I didn't find very many sufficient answers for what this means. Commentators would usually describe a man who is outwardly speaking truth. They would describe a man who is truthful. This is good, obviously. It's, it's not wrong. But what David is describing here is something much deeper than that. He isn't just talking about someone who speaks truth. It isn't just someone who does the right thing outwardly. What he's describing is a man who is so concerned with truth that he doesn't even allow himself to lie to himself. David's describing a discipline here. And all the other aspects of a blameless man start with this discipline of speaking truth in the heart. And this is difficult to do, especially when pertaining to ourselves. In fact, I would argue it's impossible to do alone. Because our, our egos, our, our inner selves, our heart, whatever you want to call it, it deceives us all the time. We so often want to believe that what is within us is right and good, but naturally we all know, even unbelievers understand this, that part of being human is to train your mind to speak truth to your heart. You know, we have to be trained and taught to do what is right. Now, the difference between an unbeliever and a believer is the unbeliever trains the actions and behaviors. And as Christians, we want the actions and behaviors too. But most of all, we want these actions and behaviors to be an overflow of a heart that longs to please God. In 1 John, John puts it this way. He says, By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So think about it this way. If you have children, do you want them to be obedient to you just for the sake of being obedient? No. Do you want them to be obedient only out of fear of punishment? No. We should all desire our children to be obedient to us because they trust us and they love us. This is what God desires from us. Does God use fear and punishment at times? Yes, absolutely. But it's not what God desires. 
See, Yahweh is slow to anger, and his kindness leads us to repentance. He is patient with us. And God desires that we would love him in such a way that we would listen to and trust what he says from our heart. He desires that we would take joy in following his commandments. He desires that we would speak his truth, the truth, in our hearts. And we have to be taught these things, you know, because what's, what's actually natural to us is sin. I mean, all you have to do to see the truth in this is go to a playground sometime and watch two-year-olds play together. What do they do? Many times they immediately go to war. They take each other's toys, they fight, they want to gain all the toys for themselves and not let anybody play with their toys, and they're mean to each other. So from the time our children are born, what do we do? We teach them to do what's right. But any godly person knows that just teaching them to do what's right is not enough. We must train them to speak truth in their hearts while also training their actions. I'll tell you a personal story. I, uh, I got in trouble a lot as a kid, and I can't tell you how many times a teacher uh, would say this phrase to me. They'd, be, they'd say, Dylan, just, just do what's right. Just do what's right. And in the fourth grade, I had a funny encounter with my, uh, with my teacher. She took me out in the hallway and, and said that phrase. She said, Dylan, just do what's right. And I was so tired of hearing that, and I, I, I kind of slyly looked at her, and I said, Miss Jones, how do you know that I know what's right? And, you know, looking back, I think that was actually a pretty good question. It made Miss Jones mad, of course. <laughs> but she was assuming that I should just have this good, pure heart to know what was right. You know, I've thought a lot about why I asked her that question. And I think the main reason is because I was wanting her to convince me of something. I wanted her to show me why I needed to behave the way that she wanted me to. You know, kind of another example of this is in the past few years, there have been so many pastors and church leaders um, lose their jobs to some sort of moral failure. And we always hear people say the same things when this happens. They say things like, how did this happen? He was such a great man. He was so holy. I never would have thought that this would happen to him. He did everything right. He was so kind. He was always helping people. How does this happen? This happens even to the most holy of people when they get out of the habit of speaking truth to their heart. It happens when they aren't honest with themselves about the ways in which they are sinful or prone to sin. And it happens when they start lying to themselves and allowing themselves to be deceived by their own desires and sin. And they end up succumbing to their own sort of self-serving bias that's within all of us. And this self-serving bias, it's, it's what's natural to us. And this is very easy to fall into. It's easy for Christians to coast and to think that they can get by without practicing this discipline. And this isn't just a modern-day phenomenon. This was true for the Israelites. All throughout the Old Testament, we see the Israelites slacking off with, with this discipline. You know, we all, we all want to lie to ourselves and think that we are good and that our way is right, maybe because we're doing the right outward actions. So I, think, I really think this is why Proverbs twelve fifteen says that a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So to be a blameless man who does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, we first have to know what truth is, right? And so the truth is outside of us. We have to get it from somewhere else. We have to get advice. And it comes from the Word of God. This is why we're told to fill our hearts with the Word of God. We need to meditate on it and know it from our heart. Psalm 119 says this, 
Psalm 119 says to store up God's word in your heart so that, so that we won't sin against God. So the discipline of speaking truth in our heart is actually what keeps us from sin. But we need to acknowledge, you know, that this, this can't be done alone. We can't just, you know, open our Bible and memorize some scripture and think that we're good to go. We need the church. We need the body of Christ. We need other people's gifts and insights that we don't have ourselves. You know, God created us in such a way that to pursue righteousness, we, we need each other. And to be blameless men, we need good godly relationships with others who build us up and encourage us and even rebuke us when needed and sharpen us. So it's interesting to me that as soon as David finishes describing the blameless man, the man who can enter God's tent and be in his presence in verse 2, David immediately starts to compare and contrast how a blameless man and a vile man relate to people in verse 3. So David painted a picture of what a blameless man is, but now he's making the point that you can only be counted blameless in the context of others. What's even more interesting to me is in verse 3, David immediately goes to the topic of slander. Now why does David do this? Why bring up slander? You know, there are, there are many sins he could mention. But I think David does this because there are few things that reveal a man's character more quickly than the way he talks about people especially when these people aren't around. The man being described as a slanderer, or I actually like the way the King James translates this word. It's a, King James calls the slanderer a backbiter. So a backbiter, a slanderer or a backbiter is someone who, who sneaks around trying to discover things about you, like your faults and your secrets and even humiliating things about you, so that he can eventually use those things against you. And this is usually someone who is very close to you. It could be a close friend or even someone that's in your family. You know, in the South, I don't know if you guys use this phrase here, but in the South where I'm from, we call, we call this type of person a snake in the grass. And uh, no one wants to be around a snake in the grass because they're, they're sly and they're evil and they're manipulative. And this is why the Bible speaks so much about taming the tongue, not giving vent to your spirit and being slow to speak. And this goes back to verse 2. Because where does slander start? Slander starts in the heart. You slander someone to yourself before you gossip to another. And there's reference to the idea in this psalm all over Scripture. We're told over and over again to be slow to speak, to control our anger, and not to give vent to our spirit. Now, why does the Bible say this? Why are we taught this? We're taught to be slow to speak, not for the simple fact of being slow to speak. You know, just being slow to speak isn't really a virtue by itself. It doesn't do anything. We're taught to be slow to speak and to control ourselves so we will slow down and we will think and speak truth to ourselves, speak truth to our hearts before we actually speak. Now verse 3, like the verses before it, has a twofold meaning. David tells us not to slander, not to do evil against our neighbor. But what is he saying when he tells us not to take up reproach against a friend? Now, this has a few different applications, but one of the things he's telling us is to not even put up with slander being done in our presence. The uh, fourth century church father, uh, Tertullian, he had this to say about slander. He said, What a man should not say, he also should not hear. Every idle word is condemned by God. The things which defile a man in going out of his mouth defile him also with that go in at his eyes and ears. 
St. Augustine had this, this phrase um, inscribed above his dinner table at his home. It said, He that doth love bitter speech, the absent to defame, must surely know that at this board no place the same. So what is Augustine saying there? He's saying, don't talk bad about people in front of me. This past, uh, you know, this past summer, I told myself I wanted to read more uh, fiction. So I, I picked the, something easy. I picked the Harry, the Harry Potter books. And in the, first, in the first book, there's this scene where this uh, character, Hagrid, he's coming to rescue Harry Potter and take him to Hogwarts, the school in the story. And Harry has this evil uncle. And the uncle starts trashing the headmaster of the school named Albus Dumbledore. And the uncle says to Hagrid, he will not be going to that school to study under some crackpot old fool in reference to the school's headmaster. And then Hagrid, he, uh, he points his finger in the uncle's face and says, do not ever speak that way about Albus Dumbledore in front of me. And I think that's a great picture of how we should respond when a slanderer is in our presence, especially when they're talking about someone that we know or someone that we love. But even if it's someone that we don't know, we should hate slander. We should hate sin that much. You know, in the pattern in this psalm, it shows us that that having the appearance of being blameless and being an honorable man, it's, it's not enough. Because the true blameless man, he does the outward actions, but he does them out of a heart that he is disciplined to do so because of his love and fear of God. You know, there are, there are plenty of people out there that do the right thing with the wrong heart. But as, we, as we've seen in verses 2 and 3, a truly honorable man hates sin so much that one, he doesn't put up with it in his own heart, and two, he doesn't allow it to take place in his presence. In contrast, a man with the appearance of blamelessness, he studies and masters the outward actions, but his heart isn't in it. His heart isn't disciplined in truth. His actions may mirror the blameless man, but God weighs the heart. Proverbs 21, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. In Proverbs 16, it says, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes but the Lord weighs the spirit. So the vile man, the opposite of the blameless man, he might not gossip or slander himself because he doesn't want to be seen as someone who gossips, but man, he sure loves it when someone else is doing it. He doesn't mind when someone else is slandering a person in his presence. He doesn't mind the sin that goes on in front of him. So in this verse, in verse 3, the Hebrew word for approach here, it can mean a few different things. The first definition is, is a simple one. It's to dishonor someone in such a way that puts them in a lower status. It can also mean to scorn or to taunt or to slur or to speak words which will harm or insult another. You know, what's interesting, though, is in, in this verse, it says not to do these things to someone who is your friend. And that might seem like common sense, right? But this actually, this, this sort of stuff happens all the time. I'll be the first person to admit I've done something like this before, but I want to ask you guys just to have some self-meditation. Um, it, this, this, this often happens in situations where there is jealousy or envy or coveting. And um, I, a situation that I could describe, but have you ever been in a situation where your, your friend may have gained something that you wanted or is doing a lot better than you? And then someone will come to you and they'll say something like this. They'll say, Hey, man, you, you know, your friend Mike, he sure is doing great with that, that business he started. It sure has taken off. And then you might say something like, yeah, you know, he, he sure is doing great, but he, he had to do a lot of corrupt things to get where he is. 
Or maybe you say something like this. Maybe you say, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, Mike, he's doing great, but, you know, his, his family is just in shambles. I mean, he's got a good business going now, but at what cost, you know? I personally would just rather have a good family. So David is talking, and, talking about and condemning this sort of speech. He's talking about dishonoring a friend in such a way that causes people to think less of him. And the sort of slanderer, this sort of slander being talked about is in the category of the type of person that David is talking about in verse 4. In verse 4, David says that a blameless man despises a vile person, but he honors those who fear the Lord, and he swears to his own hurt and does not change. So the structure, the way this psalm is written, the structure of this psalm implies that because the blameless man has made a habit and a practice out of righteousness and speaking truth in his heart, he is actually able to discern who is vile and who fears the Lord. The blameless man here is said to be someone who would rather cause pain to himself than to go back on his own words. This is, this is obviously describing a man of great honor and dignity, which is the complete opposite of the vile slanderer. But this is also another verse with a twofold meaning. And that meaning is this, you can't, you can't honor the people of God and be considered an honorable man while also honoring vile people and doing vile things yourself. You know, when I, when I was preparing for this sermon I, and I was going over this verse, it, it made me think about something that's sort of happened in my generation of believers and, you know, much of the modern church, actually. And, it, it, and this has caused us, we've kind of gotten away from this sort of language. It's caused us to reject this sort of language about vile people or people that are wrong or any sort of language like that. We don't want to condemn. I, I've often heard Christians say things like this. Well, you know, it's not loving to despise someone. It's not loving to despise a vile person. Or they'll say something like, the vile person is just misunderstood. We should love him. Or you, you despise the vile person, you don't seem very Christ-like. I can't tell you how many times I've heard Christians say a variation of something like this. You know, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like other Christians. I'm not judgmental. I'm not a fundamentalist. I'm not a Bible-thumping bigot like most. Jesus was all about love and acceptance. You know, I, and I would warn you to beware of people that say these sorts of things because people like this, they act like they have this sort of wisdom and understanding that actual faithful believers, they just don't understand. And people who say things like this are more worried about being loved by the world than honoring the people of God. And that's why a lot of these same people, they reject historic Christian teachings. They know that the world will hate them for it, and they don't want to be hated. This is what David is talking about here when he says, A blameless man despises the vile man, but he honors the people of God. You see, the blameless man, he stands up for the people of God. He affirms the teaching of Scripture, and he defends the church. You know, the people that were, the vile person that we're talking about here, seems like they so conveniently forget verses like John 15, 18, 19, where Jesus says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you, not, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. You know, and in the, iron, the irony of this sort of talk is at the end of this psalm in verse 5, David describes, he describes a generous man who gives money to the poor and doesn't ask for anything in return for it. 
David says that the blameless man is someone who is so concerned for the well-being of the poor that he loans money to people without expecting them to pay him back with any interest. This is, this is something else that the world just doesn't understand because how can, you, how can you have a man who despises a type of person, but he's also a generous and kind man who would rather go through pain than go back on his word, and he gives money to the poor. And the obvious answer to somebody that would ask that question is, look at the Christ, look at Jesus. You know, Jesus is obviously the fulfillment of this psalm. I mean, think about it. He walks blamelessly. He does what is right. He speaks truth in his heart. He speaks truth outwardly. He's good to his friend. He keeps his word, even to his own hurt, even to his own death. And he also despises vile, evil people. Jesus despises those who take advantage of the poor. He despises backbiters. He despises slanderers. He despises those who would outwardly do religious rituals without having concern for their inner selves. He despises those who call themselves Christians, but then trash the church, his bride. Jesus despises evil. He hates it. And my hope for us today, as we close, is although we can't fully be the blameless man like Jesus was, we would seek to be like him, and we would find our assurance in what he has accomplished for us on the cross. My hope is that we won't fear being despised by vile people, but that we would speak truth in our heart enough to know the difference between being loved by the world and honoring our people, the people of Yahweh, the people of Christ. David closes this psalm by saying this. He says, He who does these things shall never be moved. Another way to translate that word for moved is ruined or shaken. So the last verse here, it's supposed to be an encouragement because the more we discipline ourselves by doing what is right and speaking truth in our heart, and being molded and sanctified into the image of God, the more solid and the more firm we will become. But this is also a warning, because if we deviate from these disciplines, if we deviate from speaking truth in the heart, we risk falling into sin, and sin breeds chaos and destruction and selfishness and sorrow. So let's seek to walk in the way of our Lord, the blameless man. Let's pray together. Father, as, as Paul told us to do, I pray that we would choose to stand firm in the faith. I pray that we would act like men, we would be strong. We would let all that we do be done in love. Father, fill us with your word so that we would know how to speak truth in our hearts. And teach us to do what is right. We ask this in the name of Jesus, for your glory and for our benefit. Amen.